Behold, a gateway to your own past, if you wish. is strange, it's alien, and it won't give us what we would like to have. Welcome to Hour 2 of our Tuesday morning on this 13th of September 2022. One of my favorite hours of the week because Dave Bowman joins us from Silverdale, Washington with Dave Does History. And it's always a fun look, and, and like I was lamenting earlier, well, I guess it was last week, Wish I liked history more as a kid because the way it was presented bored me and didn't draw my interest. And Dave can certainly take it the other direction. And Dave Bowman, I appreciate that out of you, buddy. How are things in Silverdale, Washington this morning? See, I kind of feel the the opposite. I wish I didn't like history so much. I it does take a lot of your time, doesn't it? Literally spent close to seven hundred dollars in the last month on books and stuff. And, and do you read them all? I read most of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I appreciate it. And I, that's well, that's what makes these Tuesday mornings so much fun for me, is we get into it in a way that we never thought of. And that, if we had if we had this in, in history classes across the country, we should sell this, Dave. We should make this available to educators across the country. Kids would be better off. And based on our last hour, so would our adults. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't allow me to do that because, you know, they don't. The, the reality of it is, Bill, and I don't want to get too philosophical here, but there's a reason why people don't know this stuff. And it's not because it's not interesting. It's not because it's not important. It's because people, the knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. So the more you discourage knowledge, the less tended, the less tempted you are to seize power. So. If people don't know what you're doing, they don't know what you're doing wrong is what someone once said. And and that applies to history when it comes right down to it. It, Very true. By the way, you can link up to the Dave Bowman show at BillMick.com. I've also shared a link to Dave Does History on the WMMB Facebook page this morning. Dave, what are we digging into this morning? Let's start in the Capitol building of Washington, D.C. I don't know how many of you have been there. I have several times. I lived in Washington, D.C. for a short while. If you've ever been to the Capitol and you've gone under that giant dome that over thing, you may have looked up. Now, I am unfortunately cursed. I do not have good vision at all. So even with glasses, about the best they can do is 20 of 100 to 200 somewhere in there. I just can't see that well. Mm. So I have never actually seen it except in pictures. But if you look up to the dome, there is a painting on top of the dome on the inside that as you look through the oculus you see and that painting depicts what is the the title of the painting is the apotheosis of washington george washington okay and that uh, that, that's a greek word apotheosis which literally means the moment that the person depicted quote becomes a god unquote and washington is portrayed in all of his glory and all of the things that he's accomplished in the moment that he is deified in the mind of the painter who happened to be an Italian who 
uh, studied at the Sistine Chapel and, and those sorts of things. And it was this vision that the framers and the founders of this country had built something that was so precious that it was the equivalent of the ancient gods, the ancient republics of, of Greece and Rome. And this is the way, I, I hate to say it, but this is the way that many of us see certain of our framers. Oh, most certainly. I've noticed that early in my radio career that you would get the uh, the Constitution spouting callers. Right. And it was like you nailed it in your presentation to me this morning. And I shared part of that on the uh, uh, Bill McLive face or the, the Bill Mc Facebook page today, uh, the show page. Well, there's this, it, it's it, it it's like church, man. It is. There's almost this. In, in fact, Pauline Meyer entitled her book on the Declaration of Independence, American Scripture. There's this reverence that we have for these, but but it's not all of them. It's only some of them. As a mm-hmm. caller once said to us here on on Dave Does History on Bill McLive, well, it was only three or four guys that did anything. That's mm-hmm. not true. But if you go to a history class, I mean, how many people can name the actual framers, the 55 framers of this country? How many people can actually name more than say four or five of them. Very few. I, I would, would say, say, yeah. And which which makes it interesting when you go to a situation like we had in 2010, 2011 with the Tea Party, because I would go to these Tea Party meetings and people would say, we've got to get back to the Constitution. We have to get back to the values of the framers. And I would look at them and I would say, well, which framer? Because believe me, these, it was not a monolithic group. Oh, God, no. These 55 men, <laughs> they may have ended this whole thing with a nice dinner where they all shook hands and went their own way. But believe me, most of them did not necessarily agree on anything at And we're going to talk it in this hour with Dave Bowman. Dave does history on Bill McLive, and we pick <clears throat> it up in 60 seconds on WMMB. A Dave does history edition of Bill McLive. Dave. You were talking about that painting of Washington in the Capitol Dome. If I'm not mistaken, prominently featured in a Dan Brown novel that tied a lot of this history together. There was really fu- it was a fun read, and the TV show didn't quite play out as well as I thought it should. Yeah, it was. I, I don't remember the title of the book, but it was. This, I think it was his third one. I don't. I don't remember. Or fourth, now, maybe. Yeah, fourth but now fifth, you bring maybe. it up now, and I do remember that because it was yeah. all. It was all about this this painting, the apotheosis of Washington, and this idea that we were deifying Washington. And again, my experience, particularly with the Tea Party issues in the in the early 20 teens, was that there was almost this this reverence for, quote unquote, the framers as this homogenized ideal. Mm -hmm. But nobody could really explain to you, okay, what exactly were the values of the framers and. Which framer are you talking about? And inevitably it would go to, well, you know, Madison. Well, the problem with Madison is that Madison thought that we should do away with state governments. He was absolutely adamant that state governments are the problem. We need to do away with those and just have one big national government, which that's not exactly the value that, you know, Tea Party folks were were really into, as I yeah, as I recall. True. So yeah. it was um, it was quite the thing. And this is the last week of the convention this week, September 17th, this Saturday is Constitution Day, which is what this is a, it's a big deal to me because every year I try to do something special. For Constitution Day, um, this idea that we we wound down the convention and this final week of the convention was quite contentious. It really was. There was a lot of stuff going on. 
Edmund Randolph, who is the guy that actually comes up with the some of the uh, initial ideas for what what the Constitution should contain. He is starting to see some real problems with the Constitution with regards to Republican principles. Now, today, conservatives, us, you know, we we look at the Constitution as the bedrock of Republican principles. But believe me, in 1787 and 1788, the Republicans in this country, the people, little R, not big R, mm-hmm. um, they looked at the Constitution as a, quote, radical departure from good Republican principles. And the radicals, like Alexander Hamilton and James Madison, who supported the Constitution, the Federalists, were actually quite proud of the fact that this plan was so radically different so radically a departure from quote unquote good Republican principles that they bragged about that. Yes, it is a departure from Republican principles, but you don't have anything better. So kind of neener, neener, neener approach to life. (laughs) Randolph was, was really concerned about this. And, and later on, when you get into the anti-federalists, you're going to find that this is the primary issue that they have is that, Republican principles have been just absolutely eviscerated by by this Constitution. Now, before you get really upset or hyper or start sending me emails, things were seen differently in 1787 than they are now. And that's what I said. Today, we're the conservatives. We defend the Constitution. We conserve. You know, we want things to stay republic. That's what we say to people. What kind of government do we have? A Republican, madam, if you can keep it. Right. But. In 1787, 1788, that wasn't seen that way. In fact, Dr. Franklin, you know, we we have this image of Ben Franklin as this kindly old gentleman who had these wise sayings and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he wasn't uh, he wasn't quite as popular as we like to believe that he was because we have deified these people. We've painted them in this apotheosis and we put them on this pedestal without ever actually learning what it is that they really stood for, what they really believed, what they really thought this constitution was going to do. And that's part of the problem is that we've, we've imprinted our understanding of things onto what they did. And I, I, I think that's the worst thing a historian or anybody can do is to judge history by our own values and our own beliefs. And I'm going to cancel culture for that now. Yeah, we do. It, yeah. It's almost the opposite of culture, culture cancel. It's almost a revisionist history to say to somebody, well, this is what the framers believed. No, it isn't. It's not what they believed. But they also left it open for some interpretation because they were pretty, pretty wise people. Does it boil down to what they agreed upon as to what they compared to what they believe? Well, and, and even that they're not sure that they agreed to agree on this when you get right down to it. They just figured we've been here for four and a half months. We need to get going. Yeah. It's time for dinner at home. Dave Bowman with us. Dave does history on Bill Mick live. We dig into more of it. Not what we thought it was. And it's certainly not scripture today on WMMB. Hi, this is Justine bringing you late night talk for those that go to bed early. Listen to my podcast, What's Justine Thinking, every Wednesday and Friday on Anchor and Spotify.
Dave Bowman joins Bill for our weekly look at the past. We're kind of hoping to learn something new or at least have some fun, you know? It's Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live. Well, Galley Electric bringing you our storm watch page throughout the hurricane season. Dave loves hurricanes. He'd like to be in Florida for the entirety of the season. And uh, all the information you need, Operation Storm Watch, keywords storm at BillMick.com of Galley Electric, making all of that possible. Dave Bowman from Silverdale, Washington, and plausibly live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast, bringing us this hour of Dave Does History every week. Dave, we're ra- wrapping up the Constitutional Convention, and it's, and it's not a unified body of folks at all, apparently. You know, just a, just a note, I could probably move to California now and get a hurricane, so... Plus I'd be in favor of that. <laughs> Just saying, clean up San Francisco like that. Yeah the um, the last week saw Edmund Randolph. Now Randolph was concerned because, as I said before, the he see he's beginning to see this Constitution as proposed as just an absolute radical departure from basic Republican principles. Now I think we'd be remiss if we skipped over that. So I'm going to give you a very brief. And by brief, I mean very brief, not like on my show, uh, <laughs> description of what are these basic Republican principles that we're talking about? Sure. Because remember when when Franklin is asked that question, what kind of government have you given us, ma- sir? A republic, madam, if you can keep it. That answer is very flippant because clearly this is not a republic as Americans in 1787 would have understood that. They were steeped in history and tradition. And basically, since the 1740s, a guy by the name of Montesquieu had redefined what is a republic. And in that definition, he was absolute about conditions that had to be met to be a republic. And number one was it had to be very, very small, both physically and population wise. This was so that everyone in the republic knew everyone else knew who they were voting for for representation and could hold those people accountable and be virtuously involved with things. He also believed very firmly that it had to be homogenous in both culture and religion. So in other words, you you like attracts like. So if you were a Puritan, you hung out with Puritans. If you were a Baptist, you hung out with Baptists. Now to some degree you could argue that the states met those conditions as they were. They weren't small physically, but they were kind of small population-wise, and they were small enough that you knew a lot of people, and you knew the people who were running, plus they had to come out and talk to you, and those sorts of things. And most of the states were either founded on or at least culturally became very homogenous religiously. In fact, many of the states, I think it's eight of the 12 of the 13 states have an official state religion, which is something we don't, I mean, to us, that seems bizarre. We don't even, the idea of an official religion of a given state mm-hmm. that, that offends us. I mean, we we look at that, like, what are you talking about? So you had different states. You had Maryland was Catholic. Of course, Pennsylvania is Quaker. Um, you know, Massachusetts is Puritan, uh, Virginia is very Anglican, Georgia is very Baptist. And in fact, people move to different colonies, different states based on religious preferences and to form that Montesquieuian homogenous society. 
And this is the republic that the American of the 1787s would have understood. But okay. now all of a sudden, this constitution is proposing this quote unquote republic, which it has some elements of Republican in the sense of representative democracy, but it's way too big. It's way, way too powerful. That's, and that is seen. See, we today, we go, well, the federal government is limited, has defined few and defined powers. It's not really true, uh, is it? I mean, take a look around at what's going on. Absolutely. Right. Well, in, in, in 1787, 1788, Many Americans looked at this proposed constitution and went, holy crap, what are you trying to do here? You're you're just basically taking over everything. And no amount of complaint by Madison and Hamilton and the Federalist Papers saying, no, we're really not. We're limited. We're defined, few and defined, really ever overcame that uneasy feeling that Randolph is expressing this week that we have irreconcilably departed from Republican principles. And if we don't get this back this is going to be, this might be a disaster if we're not really careful. And the deciding factor is, of course, people, not plans. And that's when you have people that don't necessarily understand what you're trying to do or how you're trying to do it, it can be a problem. And George Mason, I'm sorry, Edmund Randolph, will ultimately not sign the Constitution on on the 17th. Because he feels like it's departed so badly from the basic Republican principles that they set out to, quote unquote, restore and preserve. Interesting. We dig more into it in just a moment. FloridaJobsNow.com bringing you another job fair on the 22nd of this month from noon to four. It's at the Canvas event venue, Florida Mall Avenue in Orlando, SeaWorld and Aquatica making it happen for you. Matter of fact, their marketing director got her job at the first Florida Jobs Now Career Expo. And uh, we're talking quality jobs, places where you can have a career enhancement. And by the way, while you're there, you can register to win a $500 Visa gift card as you're looking for that next career move for you. Learn more now at FloridaJobsNow.com. Back to Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live. Dave, uh, so a little rancor, a little uh, concern. And how do you think they'd look at it today after after what they went through then? And they look at the country today. What would they be saying? Well, this is the you know, this is the funny thing, because this is the convention of 1787 that we put up again. We put on a pedestal. These 55 men, they they came up with this great plan. And we we adore that plan today as you know, again, I'm a big constitutionalist, but but it wasn't quite that easy. And that's why I laugh when people say, oh, we're going to have a convention of the states. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good luck with that. Um the other arguments, there were other vicious arguments in this last week. George Mason, George Mason University, the Virginian. Yeah. He is furious. Now, George Mason is unique amongst the the anti-federalists, ultimate anti-federalists, in that he actually attended every session of the Constitutional Convention because he felt the work was so important. But he was just absolutely horrified that the final draft of the Constitution did not contain a Bill of Rights. And he was, it would have given great quiet to the people, he said, and with the aid of state declarations of, of bills of rights, it might have been easily prepared in just a few hours, but we didn't do it. We, we just left it off of there. Now, the funny thing about that is, is that some of the, the leading federalists, particularly James Madison, were adamantly against 
a Bill of Rights. They did not believe that a Bill of Rights was either necessary, and they were concerned that if we put a Bill of Rights in the Constitution of the United States, it would, well, it might cause the government to go, okay, we can't do those things, but we can. if it doesn't say we can't, then we can kind of approach to life, which is what we ended up with anyway. But mm-hmm. the, the, the argument over the Bill of Rights will become probably the biggest sticking point in the ratification debates. And in fact, it isn't until every, virtually every state convention, ratifying convention, elicits a, 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 a promise that there will be a Bill of Rights that the Constitution will get ratified. Because without that, there is a real fear that this massive government that you're proposing that isn't a republic <laughs> might start, you know, not protecting liberty, which is the whole point of all of this. And we do get it down to a final vote, the final days. Dave's going to lay that out for us. And when we come back, you want to weigh in on it. We welcome you at three, two, one, seven, six, eight, twelve, forty. Dave Bowman. Dave does history on Bill McLeod. Catch his podcast on the anti-federalist stuff. It, it, they've been amazing, Dave, and I really appreciate them. Look forward to those continuing because lessons that we didn't learn in history class, they, they're a lot of fun, man. He's got one in front of him. I like it. We're back in moments on Bill McLeod. Hey, this is Whitey. And this is Hank. And you can listen to our podcast, Two Pine Talk, on all your favorite podcast sources. So come check it out where we talk about two beers and and everything, stuff. (laughs) Listen to Two Pine Talk on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. your ticket for today's train of thought at 321-768-1240. And our train of thought on this Tuesday, as it is every Tuesday in our 8 o'clock hour, American History with Dave Bowman. Dave does history on Bill McLive. You uh, revere the founders, revere the Constitution as a piece of scripture. This might be your day to call the show and and have at Dave Bowman. <laughs> I'm going to sit back and enjoy. Anyway, Dave, we're about to the uh, last day uh, of the Constitutional Convention, and it has not been a pretty sight. Wait a minute. I revere the Constitution. I swore, yeah, okay. no, I swore an oath to as, uphold and defend. Scripture? As scripture? No, no. Uh, Although okay. I, do, I do often say that the methodology for studying Constitution is very similar to the study of Torah. And scripture. You know what? So, I've heard you say that before. Yeah, I'm with you. There you go. So we get to the last day of the convention, September 17th, which is this coming Saturday, and everything is done. Everything is laid before them. It's it's ready to be signed, but they're still not done yet. Believe it or not, Nathaniel Gorham, who was the 14th president of the United States, in case you didn't notice that, um, stands up and decides, "Hey, now is the time for me to make a proposal." to change something in the, in the level of representation right now, it's set for um, 40,000, you know, every 40,000 people gets a representative. Let's lower that to 30,000. And everybody looks at George Washington, who's sitting in his chair with a sundial kind of thing on behind it. And no, 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 that was his halo. Are you kidding? Right. right. (laughs) To this point of the convention, all the way to the last day, George Washington has been very quiet and very reserved and very, not had a lot to say about anything, but this time he says, 
Yes. He said, you can finish up the paperwork. I'm going to run this ship, baby. He says, he says, yes, let's go ahead and debate this now, now that everything is done. Now, you might think it's because he's being magnanimous and he's being, you know, inclusive. It's really not. Um, he actually supports this idea of 30,000 and he wants that in there, but it gets turned down. Then there's this big debate about, is everybody going to sign this thing or not? And this, this is the moment where Benjamin Franklin rises. He had initially he had intended to just have his speech read, but he thought this moment is too important. And he stands and he reads one of the most remarkable speeches in all of American history, which thankfully I will not read to you here. But it includes the line, let us astonish our enemies by signing this document and going forward by by solving our governmental problems peacefully. And in this speech, he's very adamant about. We should all just assume that we're not infallible and that we we are mistake ridden people and this is the best we're going to get. And so everybody should sign this. To which Eldridge Jerry, Eldridge, Eldridge Jerry, sorry, <clears throat> excuse me, Eldridge Jerry gets really mad because he thinks that he thinks that Franklin is picking on him. And yes, he is the guy for who the term gerrymandering will later be invented. Is that right? Yes. The speech itself is is considered, if you read most books about the Constitutional Convention, it's considered the high point of the moment because of something that that is going to be said a little bit later by Franklin. But at the moment, it, 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 it really kind of ticks off about a third of the people there who are not planning to sign this document, and they think that Franklin is being very critical of them. And later, the speech will actually be released to the newspapers. How did that happen, you wonder? (laughs) And believe me, the speech, which the Federalists see as this great call to patriotic behavior and agreement and all of that kind of stuff, is seen, most of the country sees it as very weak and very pathetic and very harmful to the Federalist cause, the idea that we need this Constitution because the speech is just not really good. But the debate is really just beginning. And as people begin to sign the Constitution, the 39 that are actually going to sign it, uh, James Madison notes in his book that Dr. Franklin observed that he had often looked up at the president's chair, George Washington's chair, with its painted sun on the, the head behind him and wondered whether it was a rising or setting. And Franklin expressed his optimism on this day, saying he has the happiness to know that it is a rising sun, not a setting sun. Maybe he's right, and maybe he is. But today, as we approach Constitution Day coming up this Saturday, now we really got to ask that question. Do we see that same sun rising, or do we see it setting? We study some of the framers today, the ones we like, the Federalists, but the the ones who haven't been deified, George Washington, James Madison, and so forth, Alexander Hamilton, the ones who saw things differently, the ones who had different views about things, the ones who were really concerned about Republican values and rights and liberty, we don't pay as much attention to them, do we? Mm-hmm. Which brings me to the question about Constitution Day of 2022. Maybe it's a good day to remember that it isn't necessarily the plan that's the problem it's the people who are executing it that's the problem 
And that's us. We, the people, are we making sure that that sun keeps rising or have we become okay with its setting? And we get to you and your thoughts when we continue in 60 seconds on this Tuesday edition of Bill McLaughlin. If you've missed anything we've done all day long, the podcast section at BillMick.com or the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel. You can pick those up as soon as I can get them loaded up after the show is done. Dave Bowman with us. Dave does history on Bill Mick Live. Dave, let's get to those phones. Good morning. You're up first in hour three. What are your thoughts on this bit of history today? Uh, good morning, guys. Hey, um, I uh, have two things going on in my mind. One of the first things that hit me was the Tenth Amendment. And where does the Tenth Amendment fall in here in terms of individual uh, individual rights? And and then there was something that's kind of like peripheral, which was over the years I've had the feeling that our founding fathers were creating a united nation, and that that united nation eventually, especially after the Civil War, became a single nation. Uh, and and I'm wondering if that Civil War legitimately turned it into a single nation or if something else was going on because you know I, i'm one of these people who feels the civil war uh was basically uh, a power play in the part of the federal government but in any event the 10th amendment where does that where does that get in and uh, were they creating a, a united nation mario thanks for the questions we'll see what dave has to say about it. dave go right ahead boy this could take hours uh mario i'm gonna have to give you a very short answer here because we don't have a lot of time uh, the 10th Amendment, because remember that the Bill of Rights was not originally con- in- included, and the 10th Amendment addresses only the states, powers not delegated to the United States by the con- Constitution or by the Congress, are reserved by the states, which is great. Um, the problem with the 10th Amendment is that the 14th Amendment, the Reconstruction Amendments, 14, 15, and 16, in the post-Civil War era, as you mentioned, essentially eviscerated the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. They are, the Fourteenth Amendment allows Congress to decide when it can enforce things against states, regardless of the Tenth Amendment. So, you're right, as Shelby Foote, the great historian of the Civil War, points out, prior to the American Civil War, we always said the United States are, the United States are going to do something. After the Civil War, we say the United States is going to do something. It becomes singular. And this is actually the big fear that the anti-federalists had was that this government, in fact, this is what Brutus actually says. I'm going to read this to you because I got got to get it right. Uh, He's talking about if this government is this constitution is going to form a a singular centralized government that will assume the states. And he says, and if they may do it, it's pretty certain that they will. And post Civil War, you'd have to argue that they did now. Does that mean I oppose the 14th Amendment? Not necessarily, because there are some valid things there. But is is this the republic that the 1787, 1788 American understood? No, it's not. Is it the best form of government we could have formed? Yes. Are we carrying out our mission as good, virtuous citizens in maintaining and protecting our liberties? Well, I don't think we are, but who, who uh, you know who knows? Well, just take a look at what we're doing in this country today and, and take a look at, well, well, go back to our last hour where we were talking about the disengaged citizenry of this country that doesn't understand any of these founding principles, doesn't understand 
the government that was supposedly set up by this Constitution and doesn't care to. No. And, you know, keep in mind that most of America has no clue exactly why the president's Philadelphia speech a couple of weeks ago was. The, the, for for someone who has studied history, for someone who understands the words that he was actually saying, that speech, that was uh, that's the kind of thing that would have sent the framers themselves, not to mention the anti-federalists, scrambling to gather their militias, because that was that was, in the words of the Supreme Court, fighting words. Mm-hmm. And yet most of America just goes, eh, it's just politics. You think there's a reason for that? That we say that or that the the president said the things he did? No, no, that that we blow those things off. Yes, I think that there is. Our politicians are so unbelievable. No, it's because it's because we are. This is this is the nature of history. People, as the Declaration of Independence said, people are willing to suffer as long as ills are sufferable. We Bill, we've seen this in last, you know, three years. We all know that the masks were absolutely stupid, a waste of time, ridiculous, but it's sometimes it's just easier just to go along to get them to shut the bleep up. You know, yeah. Inslee is finally going to release his his emergency powers, but not for another seven weeks. You know, we just kind of ignore it. We just kind of go along to get you into flu season so he can extend them again uh, so he can get votes for the midterms. But, uh-huh. you know, the point being that. We will do this. We will suffer these ills until they are no longer sufferable. But at that point, is there any recourse? That's the problem. In 1776, well, not, there not was. We don't have F-15s. Yes, and nuclear weapons. In, yeah. in 1776, there was recourse. Today, we're told that if you think that way, you are a, quote, clear and present danger to the republic, unquote. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And where I come from, those are fighting words. Well, and... There's another problem. Would not the press have been all over this at some point? And why are they not today? Yeah, that's uh, that's another uh, that's pure ignorance. I mean, again, that's it's not knowing your history. It's not knowing why those words matter. Uh, Rush used to run that ad. Remember, words matter. Yeah. But people say that. But if you don't really understand the words, it's, it's like looking at a painting of the apotheosis of Washington. You do we really believe that Washington was a god? But why do we put them on that pedestal? Why do we put our framers on that pedestal? They were just like us. They put their pants on one leg at a time, and they had different opinions about what it meant. They would have fit in quite well. Yep, that's very true. Dave Bowman, we are in our final minute here. What are you uh, looking ahead to this week on uh, Plausibly Live? Well, I want to get back into Brutus again, the, the anti-federals, a lot of what we talked about today with regards to the Republic. We're going to get more in detail on that. So if you're if you're looking for more than the two minutes I gave you earlier, you really want to get into Montesquieu and Republics and why the Constitution wasn't one. That's where we'll be. And I promise you, it's well worth your time. I dig for that podcast every week. And along with What the Frock and the other renditions of Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast. Links for you at BillMick.com on the show page today. Also a link on the current WMMB Facebook page. Dave, thank you so much. I look forward to next Tuesday, my friend. See you then. All right. And that's going to do it for a Tuesday morning on Bill McLive. Wide open Wednesday tomorrow. Whatever's on your mind, we'll get to it in the morning.